When will hip hop be 30 years from now? I guess I should keep studying my peers for now. Should I make a dance and snap thumbs? Fast hi-hats, 808 back drums. Are we selling our souls for 32 pieces of gold? If it's lacking in soul, how can it remain whole? We make music for stripper poles, but no music to think. That's the short-term money that we put in the bank. But the drama's going backwards. I see devolution instead of evolution. This is soul prostitution. The children are fumbling. Even got the elders in carriage and mumbling. Watching them stumbling. Day after day is so humbling. Meanwhile, our stock has been plummeting. And they telling me I need to sound like these other niggas. Grown ass men trying to sound like the younger niggas used to have balance. Back in the days, we had talent. Trying to be original was the challenge. Now all these niggas sound the same, and all the beats pound the same. Same cadence, same drums, and all that shit sounded lame. 20 niggas trying to sound like Future, and I love rocking Future, but that style is for Future. Think you niggas need a different producer. Hope that bullshit crash your computer. Ain't nothing cool about being a loser. Brothers and sisters, you are tuned into another episode of the Gospel of Malcolm X podcast. I'm your host, Brother Eric. As always, it is a pleasure to be back and with you in the studio again. So on today's podcast, we're going to be discussing the hypothetical question, which was more likely probably a literal question, is that what did Louis Farrakhan do when he was visited by the FBI? So we're going to be listening to a phone call uh, actually a recording from Brother Malcolm that took place in, I believe it was 1964, in which he was visited by the FBI during the time of his suspension. And because he had been suspended, the FBI saw this as a vulnerable opportunity to step in and see if they could get Malcolm to turn coat and to turn against the Nation of Islam and to give them names and information. And you're going to hear Malcolm decline the offer, despite the fact that he was on the rocks with the nation at this particular time. And they were ousting him. And I believe even at this time, according to Abdullah Razak, there was even talk of the mosque in the mosque about killing Malcolm, even at this particular time. However, when the FBI approached Malcolm, he refused to give them any information. One thing that stood out to me about this recording is the fact that the FBI said to Malcolm when he told them it was an insult for them to even ask him for any information. Their reply was he would be surprised. He would be surprised about who was working with them and furnishing information. The next topic we're going to be discussing or a part of the same topic is Louis Farrakhan's recent remarks about Malcolm X doing the swan song speech. And if they wouldn't talk about Malcolm, I wouldn't talk about them. It's 57 years after the assassination of Malcolm X. Farrakhan is 88 years old. And he mentions Malcolm X's name several times in the speech. And it wasn't all praiseworthy. It was to insult Brother Malcolm and to lift up himself. And I'm going to be playing some clips from this despicable speech where all Farrakhan does is praise himself. This speech from Farrakhan this past Sunday was really a masturbatory 
session in which all he did was talk about himself and elevate himself for nearly four hours. All you hear is him constantly using the words I and me talking about himself, praising himself and dissing other people in order to lift up himself. It's despicable. And he's 88 years old doing this. How can we even look up to him as an elder, somebody to give us knowledge and wisdom? And he's still acting like a child, still taking pot shots at Brother Malcolm 57 years after Brother Malcolm was assassinated. But that is why I did the podcast talking about how the ghost of Malcolm X is still haunting. Farrakhan and he can't rest. And this is why he constantly has to keep bringing it up. And now he has the quote unquote new guard, um, Wesley Muhammad and a couple of other people who are basically trying to reinvent history and pretend as if the nation of Islam had nothing to do with it. Of course, we know that the FBI and the CIA wanted Malcolm dead. And we know that they stopped Malcolm from getting into France. And we know about the attempts on Malcolm's life that uh, happened in Africa when they attempted to poison him in Egypt. However, the bottom line is on February 21st, 1965, five men walked into the Autobahn ballroom and three of them fired shots at Malcolm X. These were not CIA agents. These were not white people from some foreign country. These were not FBI agents. These were not mystical people that we don't know about that fell down from the sky. These were motherfuckers from Muslim mosque or Muslim temple number 25. The same temple that Farrakhan was at. The same temple that Farrakhan was at that the day that Malcolm was assassinated. Farrakhan was at the same temple in which Malcolm's assassins came from. And in 1972, if we pull up the 1972 speech, which I may add, Farrakhan takes the time to refer to Malcolm's killers as brave. And then he gives descriptions of the murder. He said, he said people were ducking and dodging and, and jumping, you know, trying to get down. Instead of protecting Malcolm, he was saying that the men in front of Malcolm were Darjan. He was given detailed descriptions. And it just makes you wonder, okay, well, how did he get those intimate details? Did those brothers come back to the mosque from the mosque? I mean, from to the mosque from the Autobahn ballroom? And and is that where Farrakhan heard the details of what happened at Malcolm X's assassination? Because he was given a lot of a lot of descriptive details that normally only the people that were shooting would notice the people that were shooting would notice people ducking down or whatever. Most of the other eyewitnesses, they either say, you know, they saw Malcolm fall and then generally they, they had stopped looking and they were trying to get down themselves. But the ducking and the dodging, that sounds like something from a shooter's perspective, right? So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pull up the clip of the FBI's visit to brother Malcolm. This is another clip we're going to get into later. Bear with me, brothers and sisters. This is probably going to be a lengthy one. I am infuriated a bit 
because I I wouldn't have to do a Gospel of Malcolm X podcast if Farrakhan still wasn't drilling the name of Malcolm X. What is the difference between Farrakhan and a drill rapper? A drill rapper that celebrates the death of his so-called ops. What is the difference between Louis Farrakhan and one of these drill rappers? Is it that the drill rappers say, I'm smoking on such and such, and I'm smoking on such and such as a way to taunt their uh, ops? And, and instead of saying, I'm smoking on Malcolm, Farrakhan says, hey, I wish Malcolm would have stayed in the class. I wish Muhammad Ali would have stayed in the class. I wish Warf Dean would have stayed in the class. When we saw in 1976, I played on a previous episode, Farrakhan speaking, and he was praising Warf Dean as the rightful successor. And he was happy to be Warf Dean's uh, national spokesperson at that time. What a hypocrite. He only is there to fit in and get in where he can have the most prestige. And it was because Warf Dean wasn't still elevating to the highest and highest of heights. And he got the sense that Warf Dean had disbanded the fruit of Islam. So he didn't have to worry about anybody killing him that he decided to go ahead and restart the nation of Islam. But this recording is from February 4th, 1964. It's a secret recording um, by the FBI. And then after we listen to this recording, we're going to actually read the FBI document that substantiates that everything in this recording is accurate. So I'll be right back. Bitterness could have entered into it. It would not be 
illogical for someone to have spent so many years doing something that'd be then be suspended. No, it should make him stronger because it makes yeah. him realize that uh, uh, law applies to the law enforcer as well as those who are under the enforcement of the enforcer. Well, you've taken nearly a perfect attitude uh, toward the thing, which uh, is uh, almost uh, unhuman, really. Uh, I mean, you, you've taken the attitude that uh, Mr. Muhammad wants everyone to take if he chastises them. And, which is fine. I mean, <laughs> more power to you. But you see from our viewpoint that there's uh, at least a chance, and this has happened with other members of the organization, they're suspended for some reason. He says this has happened with other members of the organization who have been suspended for some reason. Reason other. And we talked to them. And they thought that's a damn people up there, you know. And they're of course cooperative people. Why? Of course they're better. Uh, now assuming uh, you resume your duties, uh, we would be, as you sure know, interested in having you help us out. Help you out to do what? We, we're always helping out the government. We're clean, cleaning up all of the uh, oh, crime. <laughs> that, uh, fine, fine, fine. We, we, we help it out more than it helps itself. We're at least able to reform the people who have been made criminal by this society, right. by the corruption of this society. And any way to help it out other than that, I wouldn't even know how to begin. Well, what we're interested in, uh, basically, are the people who belong, the names, the members. My telephone number is OL16320. OL16320. Now, by this, by this suggestion, I'd like telling you the sun shines in the east, from the east. So Malcolm is hilarious. He's hilarious. Um, so he's giving them his phone number. And uh, he said, it's like telling you that the sun shines from the east. Basically like, man, y'all niggas already know my number. Like, come on now. Malcolm is hilarious. Well, no comment. And giving uh, the white man said, no comment. The teachings, the uh, plans, the programs. No teaching is more public than ours, and I don't think you find anybody more blunt in stating it publicly than we do. No, exactly. I don't think you can go anywhere on this earth and find anybody who expresses their views on matters more candidly than we do. Uh, I can only agree with you. No, that's right. Yeah, you're right. You do. Uh, the main thing is uh, there is a certain area of responsibility. This is just getting into our uh, angle of it. What we really want is are the names of all those who belong. The names, who they are, the identification. I don't even know them. Uh, you have, you keep no records. And that, that's not my job. I'm just preaching. Yeah, but somebody up there keeps the record. I don't know who. I don't have any knowledge of those kind of things. With all these other responsibilities I've had, it's difficult for me to worry about 
names. Plus, yeah. you would insult my intelligence asking me for them. You, you, in fact, no, you, you would insult your own because uh, it would mean that your own intelligence isn't heavy enough to weigh me and know in advance what I'm going to say when you ask that question. Well, without getting into an argument on semantics there, you don't know until you ask. That's not uh, semantics. Uh, that again goes into your psychology. We've had people, that, uh, not this group in particular, other groups. Oh, yes. Who have been just as vociferous against what we're ever we're investigating. So here we go. The white man tries to clean it up. He says, not particularly this group, but with other groups. And he's going to say, listen to the, let me finish, let him uh, finish the rest. I'm communist, make that, make a good case. Communist for 20 years, you know, they hate everything. Uh, go interview them. Yeah. They don't want to. Go anyway. So you go and knock on the door and go, where have you been? Oh, I want to tell you something. You never know what they ask. And that's happened so many times. Um, it's happened so many times. Sometimes uh, you word isn't convinced but sometimes you uh, money brings out uh, the information sometimes money uh, breaks out intent to insult you here according to Dylan uh, what's his name the secretary of treasury this the money this government's money is in such trouble until you can still spend it <laughs> still according to uh, your government economists the dollar itself is in such trouble, a person would be a fool to sell his soul for one of these decreasing dollars. Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You'd be a fool to sell your soul if the dollar was increasing. Uh, this has nothing to do with selling your soul. I mean, if you look at it that way, okay. Yeah, but depends on how you look at it. Sure. You insult my intelligence when they, and not only they insult me, period. If they think I would tell them anything, but uh, it, it, it would uh, it would be good, and I think uh, in in many ways it might uh, might be of some benefit to your organization. You know, if, yes. if in fact we can eliminate people. There's no government agency that can ever expect any information out of me that's in any way detrimental to any religious group or black group, for that matter, in this country. No government agency. Because they should use that same energy to go and find who bombed that church down there in Alabama. And if, they, if the government, if these government agencies spend as much money and time and energy. You know what somebody in the South is saying today? Few people have gone north. All right. So that just kind of shows you how solid Brother Malcolm was, even though he was on the outs at the time, which is the reason why the FBI said that they approached him in the first place. He still, he still stood, stood solid, wouldn't give them any information, wouldn't, didn't want money. What do you think happened when they visited Louis Farrakhan? Do you think Louis Farrakhan stood solid like this and didn't want any money or didn't want to move somebody out of position so that he could be moved into position? It's just a hypothetical question. So now I'm going to read from you from the book called the, the Malcolm X, the FBI files, 
page 252, there's a section called the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and it's dated February 5th, 1964. This recording, February 4th, 1964. It reads, Malcolm Little advised that he is generally known as Malcolm X and resides at 2311 97th Street, Queens, New York City. He stated that until sometime in December 1963, he was the minister in charge of the Nation of Islam Mosque in New York City. In December 1963, he was suspended by Elijah Muhammad from his duties. He would not say the reason for his suspension or its duration. He stated that any comment on this would have to come from Elijah Muhammad. He stated that his suspension from duties caused him to repraise his loyalty to the NOI and Elijah Muhammad to reappraise. I'm sorry, caused him to reappraise his loyalty to the NOI and Elijah Muhammad. He stated that because of his suspension, he is now more firmly devoted to Elijah Muhammad than ever. He pointed out that his suspension proves that the rules of the NOI apply to everyone equally. He stated that he is in no way better towards Elijah Muhammad and that anything that might have caused his suspension was entirely his own fault and he could blame no one else. He stated that the NOI cooperates with the United States government more than any other Negro organization and that the NOI stops members from smoking, drinking, committing crimes and many other things which were which result in a benefit to the United States government, but which the government is unable or unwilling to do for itself. Because of this, the Nation of Islam is the only group that really benefits Negroes. He pointed out that other Negro groups do not have the program which will benefit the Negro. And eventually the Negro will realize this. He talked about Bayonard Rustin and he talked about a few other things, but I just wanted to show you that this coincides, you know, there's coincides. The FBI report coincides with this particular recording. So I have a few other things that I'm going to get into. Um, I'm going to play a clip today that Wesley Muhammad thought that somehow Zach Kondo is not historically accurate or he's, he's making up historical lies. And I reminded them that they still got Paul Guthrie problems. And basically his response to me was that basically he did not duck out on the debate with Paul Guthrie. The problem with that is, and I could probably pull up the clip is that Lord Jamar organized a debate between him and Paul Guthrie. And he is the one that said that he could not participate in the debate because he was a member of the nation of Islam and the leadership of that nation of Islam, i.e. Louis Farrakhan would not allow him to participate in that debate which would lead one to this, to speculate if this was a debate that your leader thought that you could win, why would you not allow them to participate? Elijah Muhammad never kept Malcolm out of any debates. Malcolm debated at Harvard, Oxford, Yale, and he put the spanking on white people at all of those universities. So why in the world would um, Wesley Muhammad, who I actually think is intelligent. I know the brother as, true islam when he was under the name true islam and he used to do debates and he used to give lectures i think the brother is actually intelligent 
And I wish that his intelligence could be used for something other than trying to somehow disinvolve the nation of Islam from an assassination in which they were involved in. It doesn't mean that I hate the brothers in the nation and that we can't move forward. I don't know where Wesley Muhammad was in 1965. I know he wasn't in the Autobahn ballroom. I don't have any reason to hate Wesley Muhammad, but if you're going to sit here and reinvent history and reinvent lies, then now you, you jumping in front of, uh, of the work you jumping in front of the work because we have to be honest about what, what happened. You can't just erase history because you, you like Farrakhan or you want to dick ride Farrakhan. So I'm going to go ahead and pull up my uh, the, the clip that I, I just. So no, it's a horrible story. Malcolm's assassination is a horrible story. And I tell you something else is horrible, too. They got this 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 new guard, you know, other nation. Now. In my in the book that I got coming out, I have a small little message for Farrakhan in which I'm calling on Farrakhan as a leader of African people to just basically just come clean. Let me say this too before I forget. And I'm gonna let Baba Zot, this is Baba Zot Kondo speaking. He wrote the book Conspiracies. Very good uh book. It's hard to get your hands on it these days, but we've played some clips from Baba Zot Kondo on this show. And he's featured in a lot of Omar Shabazz's work. And he is probably the most beneficial part of the Netflix documentary, Who Killed Malcolm X? He's brilliant. He's a professor, I believe, at Baltimore. I, I fortunately actually got to meet him in person one particular day. He probably won't remember me, but I did get to meet him in person. He spoke at Dunbar High School in Baltimore during the time that Man in Marble's book came out. And I believe he spoke with a brother, Winbush, who was a professor at Morgan State University as well. But the brother is brilliant. His book is brilliant. His lectures on the on the subject of the assassination of Malcolm X is brilliant. And actually, the only one thing I disagree with him on is how soft he is on the nation. And and he ain't really that soft. But some of the stuff he, he cut the nation slack in some areas where they don't deserve slack. Even him writing this little passage to Farrakhan. Farrakhan don't he don't want to make the thing right. He's 80 years old, 88 years old now, old enough to know right from wrong. He's still gangbanging on Brother Malcolm's name. He's not trying to heal the wounds. You know who tried to heal the wound? Brother Worf Dean. Brother Worf Dean, who said, you know what? What we did was wrong. I'm going to reinstate Brother Malcolm into the mosque posthumously. Brother M Malcolm had already been dead like over a decade at that particular time. And Worf Dean, he didn't shit on Brother Malcolm's name. He reinstated him into the mosque posthumously, named the mosque after the brother's name. And he said that the people in the nation, they wanted to move forward with that. That's why, um, say, for instance, uh, Melchizedek. Melchizedek loves Elijah Muhammad. He loves Elijah Muhammad, but he also loves Malcolm X. He said that Malcolm was the baddest and that Malcolm under the teachings of Elijah Muhammad was the baddest. He don't shit on Malcolm. I don't shit on him. Brother Melchizedek is 83 years old. He looks great for his age. Anything the brother want to talk to me about, I can listen to it. 
He's not shitting on Brother Malcolm. And he, and he loves Elijah Muhammad. He loves the teachings. We can all move forward. The way that Melchizedek is doing it, we can move forward. What Farrakhan is doing is basically gangbanging. And now he got these little henchmen out here that are reinventing history and basically making up lies. And it's creating more confusion than ever. Whereas Worf Dean, um, and, and Melchizedek doesn't even like Worf Dean, by the way. What, what Worf Dean did at least allowed us to move on. What Melchizedek did, it allowed us to move on, you know, to, to kind of heal. He's not happy that Malcolm was assassinated. I don't even think that that um, Elijah Muhammad could always live with that. I think that at times he talked a tough game, but I think at different times in his life, even according to his son, that Malcolm's assassination weighed on Elijah Muhammad's heart. And let's stop, you know, let's shut that spigot off. You know, like there's this new thing going on now. Like I was uh, listening to uh, 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 Nelson, um, uh, Carl Nelson. On his show, one, at, at different times last year, he had on Akbar Muhammad and he had Wesley Muhammad. And they're all making these arguments. So, no, it's a horrible story. Malcolm's assassin. On his show, one at, at different times last year, he had on Akbar Muhammad and he had Wesley Muhammad, and they're all making these arguments now that um, Raymond Woods' revelations, you know, about the NYPD, you know, participating in the assassination and all that, they're using that now to argue that that because of what Woods is saying, it proves that the nation ain't had nothing to do with Malcolm's assassination. Huh? Right. So we got a race trader who makes a couple statements offering us very little substance, by the way. But the nation is using that now. I think even somebody even wrote a book uh, in reference to this. So, oh, oh so uh, didn't we kill Malcolm or something like that? But it's like they're still playing these games. Malcolm's been dead for over 50 something years. And they're still trying to come up with ways to make it seem as though the nation were victims. And by the way, that's what that's what came out on, on the Carl Nelson show. It was like they were trying to make this argument. Um, uh, I think Carl Nelson asked, uh, was it Akbar? Yeah, he asked Akbar when he was interviewing him uh, after the whole Woods thing. Well, has anybody apologized to y'all? for accusing y'all of killing Malcolm. Huh? So it's like a race trader connects the NYPD, which I'd already done in my book anyway, to Malcolm's assassination, and that's proof that the nation was innocent of Malcolm's assassination. So let's ignore everything that the FOI did. Let's ignore everything that a lot of Muhammad said. Let's ignore everything that Muhammad Speaks said. Let's ignore all those attempts on Malcolm's life in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in Boston, in Philadelphia, in New York. Let's ignore all of those things because Raymond Wood said that the NYPD 
had something to do with Malcolm's assassination. So everything that the nation did, apparently, just like a magic wand or something being waved, that's the proof that they had nothing. Raymond Woods proves that the nation had nothing to do with Malcolm's assassination. This is unbelievable logic, or lack thereof logic. But that's Definitely what they're arguing right now. So my thing right, you know, so my thing in, in this next edition is I have a message from Farrakhan. You can come forward finally and lay the record straight. He don't want to do that. All right. So now I'm going to move into um, some of these other, um, some of the clips from Farrakhan's speeches. And I'm going to let, I'm going to let it play, not from his speeches, but from this last speech. And then we we probably get into, um, we'll probably get into the whole thing where Farrakhan had Elijah Muhammad's side chicks disrespecting Malcolm X at a Savior's Day, and these women who Elijah Muhammad never said was wives, Farrakhan took it upon himself to give them the title as quote unquote wives years later in an attempt to reinvent history, and then and. He had multiple women with multiple children and then reinvented it as wives. And at the same time, told you that polygamy is wrong. And advised women, you know, don't let any man pull this game on you. About polygamy, when him and Elijah Muhammad obviously pulled the game and actually Elijah Muhammad, we can give him a little bit of a heads a little bit of a leg up on Farrakhan because at least he never claimed the women as wives, but then he did lie about it and kick him out the nation on charges of fornication. So I don't know between the, the two of them, you can't get any uh, form of justice or righteousness, but listen to this speech and listen to how much this man pretty much just jacks himself. And your love is fickle. You can't tell me you got a great teacher, a great prophet, and you can only hang on while the prophet is among you. But the moment the prophet is gone, vanity and envy and all these wicked characteristics manifest because each one wants a page. Poor Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. He fought the good fight. He was true to what he taught. He was the embodiment of the spirit of what he taught. And when he left, a great disciple arose, Abu Bakr. But when a great one leaves, there are always those who desire his place, but as the messenger said, they want my crown, but they don't want to pay my price. 
Oh, they said many terrible things about me. He wants to be the leader. He wants to be seen. I mean, he talks about himself throughout this whole speech. He don't really love This might as well Elijah be a biographical Muhammad. speech. He's an actor. You should go to school and learn how to act like me. Because if acting is what brought me from a musician singing dirty calypso songs, <laughs> writing dirty calypso songs, trying to be better but didn't know how. That was not my calling. One day when the play I had written was playing right here at Dunbar High School. There were two shows, one in the morning, in the afternoon. Now let me also go into this. So the play he had written was a play that it's alleged that he, he stole from there was a female in the nation. I want to say it was Tanetta Muhammad. I want to say it was Tanetta. That basically the idea for the play, he stole from Tanetta. And in this same speech, he tells you about how his underground hit song called A White Man's Heaven is a Black Man's Hell was, he got the title for that from Malcolm. This is Malcolm all, all the time, every time. He can take a shot at Malcolm. He does. When he know he stole Malcolm, he stole Malcolm's style in terms of speaking. And then even his hit song was a title that he took off of Malcolm. Noon and one in the evening, and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad came to the evening performance, but I didn't know it. Yeah, that's real. <laughs> oh, and did I sing, and did I dance, and did I play my violin, and oh, I did all that I knew how to do. In that world's life, some of you beautiful brothers and sisters, you got so much talent, but the one thing you don't have is a moral that money becomes your master and when money and fame become your master Satan who has the money Satan is master of what you want to master he makes us an offer that we can't refuse and even this is about to come back to him again. And we end up selling our souls. 
I'm going to fast forward this a bit to to our Some next of portion you of the speech. Love the minister, but you can't come too close. Okay, here we go. Here's here's about him. People loving the minister. Listen Some to this. Some of you really love the minister, but you can't talk about me in certain circles. Who thinks like this? What leader Some thinks of you like love this? Me and and I'm like a lovely song. And so, in introducing you to the Son of Man, I could be an act, I could have been a great one. Because Satan is a great actor. He teaches acting school. And some of us have become good students in, in Satan's acting class. We don't know how to be real. We don't know how to be sincere. We don't know how to be really committed to what we say we're committed to. But liars after a major liar. I was in that world. And I was good at what I did. Here we go. More back to him. All right, let's Very fast forward good. to the next point, which is going to be more self-praise, I'm sure. And I now, used mind, to this wonder, is God, different parts of the speech where he's just praising himself. Me all these gifts? God, you made me so gifted. What's the purpose? Because if you have a gift and you find it, you want to know what is the You can't know me unless you can find me in the word of God. You don't know me. But I have lived long enough in the classroom of God with magnificent students that you admired and I admired too. Here he's talking about Malcolm. But I could never follow them when they left the classroom and disrespected the teacher. And uh, Boyce Watkins' big head ass is right here shaking his head, going along with this nonsense. Don't spend your money with Boyce Watkins, guys. I don't, something about him I don't trust. And I would not be surprised if, I think he's already been on pocket watching with JT. I think pocket watching, JT from pocket watching has already called him out on being a complete fraud. And it makes complete sense, I guess, that he would admire Farrakhan, who is the ultimate fraud at this point. Yes, it is a law walk. Now, two things I want to say about knowing me. And another thing 
about knowing you. So he want to he want to he want to tell you two things about knowing him and only one thing about knowing who you are. Do you know I have it in my notes, but I'm not going to open my notes. Do you know I was rebellious in the classroom of God? What? All right, well, I'm going to fast forward some of this self-aggrandizement to the next point. Don't tell me if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I can't make a blind man see and a deaf man hear and a dumb man speak and a lame man walk. I can do all of that and then some if I'm a real disciple of Jesus. Listen, listen, listen now. I just want you to measure yourself. I'm giving you the tools of measurement. My dear brother Malcolm, he was God, such a wonderful teacher to me. And I will thank Allah for him all the days of my life. Here comes the double speed. Even though I disagreed with him when he broke from the teacher. And he wanted me to come with him. In the movie about Brother Malcolm and. Now, listen, he, he here he's actually referencing. He's not referencing a conversation that he actually had with Malcolm. He's actually referencing the movie A Night in Miami. He forgets the title of it, but he's actually referencing the movie A Night in Miami, which I did a movie review on. Movie was absolute trash and unfactual, which is the reason why he can't actually reference an actual conversation that he had with Malcolm where Malcolm was trying to make him leave the nation and come with him. And he just references the movie, which was trash. Why doesn't he actually reference the actual event? And he just references a movie, which even the writers of the movie admit was a non-factual movie. And, and, uh, for men, Yeah, one night in Miami. Yeah. Uh, what did Lewis say? I'm the Lewis. What did Lewis say? You weren't there. When Elijah, Muhammad, when Malcolm told me about my messenger's domestic life. We were at his table and, and Betty had fed us. Now, mind you, he doesn't say that Malcolm told him to, that he wanted to leave or that he was leaving and that he was bringing Farrakhan with him. 
he says that Malcolm told him about his messenger's domestic life, which, of course, you know, in the nation of Islam, that they are into everybody's domestic life because people got suspended for fornication. People got suspended for adultery. Malcolm's own brother was kicked out of the nation for fornication and ended up in a mental institution. His own brother. And at that time, he even tried to tell Malcolm, yo, your man Elijah is doing the same thing. But Malcolm, couldn't. he was so caught up into cult life, he could not fathom that Elijah Muhammad was doing the same thing. But that's what the Nation of Islam did. They kicked, they got into people's domestic life. And as well, and he drove me to LaGuardia Airport, which was right around the corner. And he said, now, Lewis, he spoke with authority because I was his student. Now, Lewis, don't you tell anyone what I told you tonight. I said, no, sir. I'm not going to tell anyone but the messenger. Now let's listen to the double speak. Now check this out. See, that was a little trial. Well, you snitched. Snitch. Got a hell of a damn nerve. I snitched. Do you know what a soldier in the army of God is? You report all slackness and weakness. So now by telling Elijah Muhammad, his interpretation or whatever it was that him and Malcolm's conversation was. He's saying that he's a soldier of God and he's reporting slackness and weakness on Malcolm's behalf. 57 years after Malcolm is been assassinated he's still i mean like this was one week after the 57th anniversary of malcolm's assassination and a 88 year old piece of shit man stood here talking like this all wrongdoing if you're the soldier But if you're a punk, you go along with the madness. Then you become a disciple of somebody else. Wasn't he a disciple of Elijah? <laughs> yeah, that's me. I'm a black man. All right. What we're going to do is I'm going to actually cross-reference this story. I'm going to cross-reference this story with um, the FBI document. So we're actually going to go back into the book, the FBI file, and this is on page 246 of the FBI file. And this is in January where when they must have had this conversation. And... It's interesting. The interesting thing about this, right, is that we see Elijah Muhammad's name written 
clear in the FBI document. We see Malcolm X's name written clearly in the FBI document. Even Kennedy's name written clearly in the FBI document. But there is a person from Boston in which you guys know that Elijah Muhammad, I mean, that Louis Farrakhan is the minister from Boston. There's a person from Boston whose name is redacted. Is redacted. So, looks to me that the context clues of this would suggest that this person, based off of the story around the dinner, which you just heard him tell about they had just had dinner and Malcolm had drove him back to the airport. And that's not the first time he's told that story. I've played other clips. Go back and listen to my episode called Why is Farrakhan's name redacted from Malcolm's FBI file? I talk about it there, but we're going to read about it here. Here it goes. Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm Little, and Biru Deletion. So I'm going to, from now on, when you hear me say redacted, you can pretty much put Farrakhan's name there. So Malcolm, Malcolm, Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm Little, and Bear and redacted, and another individual redacted were having were in a conversation at which time Elijah gave a long religious talk using many parables. Elijah told of the great power of Allah and how he's followed everything Allah has told him. He mentioned how Allah has let him know in advance many things. Elijah told them that he is just a man as the rest of them with a message from Allah. He said that people make a great man such as he is now. He stated that people understand his mission as well as devils. They do, they do everything would be all right. Elijah mentioned that the president's assassination, he mentioned the president's assassination and Malcolm's New York speech. He said he feels Allah when everything is right and he knows this is good. He talked about Moses, Jesus, and so forth. He mentioned about after he put Malcolm down from public speaking, how the devils had called hinting that there was a split between Elijah and Malcolm. And Elijah told them that there was not. Elijah told how he helped Malcolm in his statements to the press when Malcolm first started speaking in Harlem. He said that he had been hearing about he had been hearing about Malcolm this and Malcolm that and even Malcolm being called leader. Elijah said, now, now this one and that one is getting jealous. He told Malcolm that Malcolm was Elijah's property, to which Malcolm agreed. He told Malcolm he made an error. Malcolm stated he had asked permission in a letter before he said anything, and he understood it was all right. Elijah said he could not understand why Malcolm took this poison and poured it out and told him that and told them that it was poison. He told Malcolm that one cannot use fire to fight fire. So now we, they're talking about Elijah's domestic life, quote unquote, at this point. And what he says that Malcolm took this poison and poured it out. And then Elijah said, you cannot use fire. Uh, one cannot use fire to fight fire. 
He said all of the time Malcolm had been referring to something else, and Elijah thought he had a sly scheme or shrewd plan, but not this time. Elijah stated we can't outorganize the man. He said if anyone told him that Malcolm was going to use things like that, he would not have believed it. He told Malcolm if he loved Allah, then he must love Elijah as the messenger of Allah. Malcolm stated that he would rather be dead than to say anything against Elijah. Malcolm said he didn't say anything to anyone about Elijah and had been using parables to speak. Elijah asked Malcolm how Bira redacted had gotten the wrong impression from what Malcolm had said. Elijah stated the wrong um, Elijah stated that they all wrote to him and and said the same thing. And uh, in the speech, Farrakhan talks about writing to Elijah and basically, I guess, saying that Malcolm said something. And I guess maybe they all agreed to say the same thing when Malcolm came to talk to talk to them. I don't know. He told Malcolm that he could not walk through the woods with fire in his hands and not start a fire. He said one must carry a bucket of water and not fire. Elijah stated he had that he had to speak out on Kennedy's death as the whole nation would have been against him. And Malcolm agreed. Elijah mentioned even some of the sympathetic devils were outraged at Malcolm's statement. Elijah asked Malcolm why Malcolm had been checking into Elijah's personal affairs. Bureau deletion. Malcolm stated he had not asked anything about this, but he had heard it in Chicago. Malcolm said he talked to Bureau Deletion about it and he already knew it. Malcolm said he, he noticed the people in Chicago were very cold to Elijah's family in Chicago and Savior's Day, apparently referring to February 1963. Malcolm said that Bureau Deletion asked him to eat with him that night and brought the matter up. Bureau Deletion told Malcolm about it and he Malcolm acted as he, if he knew nothing about it. Malcolm said Bureau Deletion has stated a lost found sister in Boston had said that the FBI had asked her about it and told Bureau Deletion. Malcolm mentioned Bureau Deletion told him the person she planned on marrying about this. The brother told Bureau Deletion who called and told Bureau Deletion in New York. Malcolm stated that he called and told Barrow Deletion, apparently back in Boston, and told him, and mind you, it says apparently um, back in Boston. So that just means that Lewis went back to Boston where he was the minister and told him he had to put pressure on the sister and made her say things which she did not mean. Malcolm said he told Barrow Deletion to drop it and that he, Malcolm, never discussed it with anyone else. Elijah told Malcolm that he could not prove any of this. Malcolm said that he thought Elijah had tried to tell Malcolm of this one time in Phoenix. Malcolm mentioned Elijah asked him that he, Malcolm, thought of Bureau Deletion. And Malcolm changed the subject because he was afraid to hear it. And Malcolm said that he told Bureau Deletion he thought it would be a good idea to, to tell some of their trusted people so they would be in a receptive spirit if they heard it from people um, who could not handle the matter. Malcolm told Barrow Deletion 
he was going to write Elijah and tell Bureau Deletion a reaction would be, and he hoped Elijah would allow Malcolm to tell others who would understand it. Elijah spoke about how some people have said that he and Bureau Deletion are separated, but they are not. Elijah said that he cannot stay in Chicago because of the pressure on him all the time because of the weather. He said one of them must stay there all the time. So she stays there in Chicago and Elijah lives in Phoenix because of the good weather. So some of the Bureau deletion there was some of the side chicks, but a lot of, a lot of it, apparently when Malcolm is speaking to such and such, apparently back in Boston, you can obviously tell from the context clues that that is Louis Farrakhan. And also the letter writing. I'm going to see if he talks about it here, but Louis Farrakhan talks about and letter dude, writing. He talks about how Malcolm asked him to give Tom to send off his right his letter first. Let me see if he mentions it here. When I said that to Brother Malcolm, he's my teacher. We're sitting in the car, he's driving. He did that. Damn. I mean what? See your reaction? I didn't say nothing wrong. He telling me about my teacher. I'm going to talk to the teacher. Is this true? Not that I give a damn. I didn't come to hear gossip on my teacher. I came to hear the wisdom of God from my teacher. I want you to check my history. Other people were saying they, they were defending the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, but they, fin they defended like, now somebody that had an ax to grind with Malcolm. Seeing when you're envious of your brother, you can't even correct him right. Because in your correction, is your hatred of your brother. That's the difference between me and you. I loved Malcolm. But I was not. Well, where the, the thing is, if you're correcting Malcolm, where was Malcolm wrong? That's this is the thing. If he's so-called correcting Malcolm, he hasn't been able to state where Malcolm was wrong yet. Malcolm's follower. And as long as he was with Elijah, I'm going to be with you. And when the Imam became the leader of the nation, we were at odds. He and I. You don't know my love for Wallace D. Muhammad. You don't know what the messenger said to me that made me love him. Even when he went wrong, I loved him. So when you love your brother, 
to your brother like a brother. I criticized him, never in your earshot. I wasn't trying to make a follower of me out of you. I wanted to see my brother go right. Because whether you want to know it or not, Wallace D. Muhammad was the hope of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. I have a letter 17 pages long that Elijah Muhammad wrote to his son. I'm not going into it today, but I just want to say this to you. When you follow a divine man, do you think the road to God that it's just like you want it to be? Do you think the road to greatness is like you want it to be? Do you think the road to oneness with God is the way you want it to be? Five o'clock the next morning, Brother Malcolm called me. He said, Brother, I know you said you're going to tell the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, but I hope that you will wait a little while so I could get my letter off to him first. I said, well, brother, my head is so messed up after what you said. It's going to take me time. To All right. So the obvious question would have to be here is why would it have to take him time? Number one, let me get to the reality of it, and then I'll address the fakeness of it. So the reality of it is that Malcolm talked about in the autobiography is that, is that Louis Farrakhan already knew. Louis X at this time, he already knew about the babies. He already knew at the time that Malcolm had this conversation with him. So he really wasn't so shocked. He just wanted to go back to Elijah to create beef between Malcolm and Elijah so that he would be able to get in Malcolm's position. But from the logical part of it, dealing with Farrakhan's fakeness, let's say he didn't know. If he said that Elijah had these wives and this was normal and the prophet Muhammad had wives and this was whatever. And remember, he said that he didn't give a damn, right? Just You just heard him in the same speech say, I don't give a damn about no gossip about my teacher. If that was the case, then why was he so bothered and why would it have to take him time to deal with it? You see what I'm saying? This is the double speak that I'm talking about. To see how to write the man I love. The man I've committed my life to. About something a disaffected student had to say. Because sometimes, brothers... Sisters, when you bring a complaint, the complaint says more about you that bring it than the man or woman you're complaining about. 
see, here we go again. We're getting into more doublespeak because this wasn't a complaint. Malcolm's rank was over Lewis X's rank at this particular time. So he wasn't bringing Farrakhan no complaint about no Elijah. Why would he have to bring his student a complaint? I just want you to listen to your brother today. Because I don't intend to talk again until I return from where I'm going. Even where this, you're going. You see, he, he brings back to yonder. the south. And then he actually starts singing. At, at this point, he actually starts singing going up yonder. At this, he actually kind of shows that he's nothing but a chicken winging pastor. He actually sings going up yonder. And at the beginning, he actually sung, I never would have made it without God. You know, the gospel song, I never would have made it, which is nothing wrong with gospel if that's your, your genre. But obviously, you can see the contradictions here. Where are you going? I'm going up yonder. Where's yonder? See, you say that on dead people. I ain't dead and I ain't dying. But I'm going up yonder. When are you leaving? I'm leaving soon. Anybody ask me? When are you leaving? Anybody ask me? Tell them I'm leaving soon. Cause I'm going up yonder. I'm going up yonder. I'm going up yonder to be with my Lord. All right, so this is the what you get from your Muslim leader. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get ready to close out. But before I close out, uh, Wesley Muhammad, when I basically, he was calling out Zach Kondo. And I basically told them that he was not ready to debate or go at Zach Kondo because he still had uh, Paul Guthrie issues. And uh, he told me that I was misinformed because um, basically he had invited Paul Guthrie to a debate before and sometime in 2014. Let me see if I can just pull up his exact response. Let me see if I can find it. Give me just a second. So that way I don't have to misquote the brother. Let's see if any of this stuff. It looks like maybe all of the all of our dialogue from earlier. When did, did he delete it? He may have deleted it. Let's see. All right. Even if he does delete it, let me go ahead and screenshot it right now. I'm going to go ahead and screenshot it. Just so I have it. I don't know if he deleted or not. Responded to me. You are totally misinformed. I, Wesley Muhammad, invited Guthrie to debate me. 
not the other way around. This was around 2014. We spoke on the phone. I offered a live debate. He only wanted a controlled videotape version in his own studio. I, of course, said no to that. The negotiations ended there. Be he would not agree to a live debate. I, I even offered to secure a public venue in Chicago. He did not want that. That is how that went. Any other story is a false narrative. Now, I'm about to pull up a video from Lord Jamar, right? And this was three years ago. And let's see what the date of this one. Let me see if I can get the exact date of this video. And this is like, if you can't even get recent history right, right? This is stuff that just happened a few years ago. You can't even be honest about this. How can we expect you to be honest about Brother Malcolm? If you can't even be honest about it, because this wasn't in no 2014. Here's Lord Jamar asking, can we see a debate uh, happen between Paul Guthrie and Dr. Wesley Muhammad? And let me see if I can, I'm going to just play this one from my phone. So excuse me if the audio quality is not all of that. You know what would be a great way to do that? You know what would be a great way to do that, True Islam? What's that? In a debate. A debate. <laughs> this is just three years ago. This hey, wasn't 2014. Can I get you to put, listen, brother, I know, I know what you said, but I, I want to make this happen, bro. If I could get you right now to say, because we got to get ready to go, bro. Like this, this... This subject is so deep and enthralling. And first of all, you a master speaker, so you know how to speak. It's almost insulting and, and, to yeah, like... Yeah, the time that, to, like, an hour is not enough for this subject. We we gave him an hour, we gave you an hour, but this is not enough time. Y'all really need to... And, and you say this exchange has been going on since 2004? This is what... Yo, it's been going 14. on for a while. 14, 2014. 2014. Listen... I would like yeah. the brother ain't ain't gonna accept nothing less than a debate. Can you please just say you're gonna debate him so we could get this going? Because I really, yo, you both you. He's asking Wesley Muhammad, could you please just debate Paul Guthrie? Please just debate him. Both have some some strong points, and I just want to see it go down. But but not in no. WWF, you know, because there's a lot of conscious, you know, wrestling championships going on right now. That's not what I'm looking for. And all of y'all that's into that, y'all get out of here because we're not, we're actually trying to do something productive here. We're not striving to, you know, this one first, that one on some, you know, this is not the WWF. But I would like to see this, y'all. Watch Wesley Muhammad duck this fade. Watch him duck his fate. Head to head intellectually on this subject. Because time's just about up. What do you say, bro? Can we do that? Can we join? Can we have a debate on your Can we have a debate, yes, with you and Paul Gunn? Let let, let, let me say this to you, uh, to Mr. Paul Guthrie. Uh Y'all got me twisted. Dear brother, you didn't have me twisted until just now by asking me what you just asked me because you know that uh, I stated my position 
And I am the one who's saying I want to make this happen. Now, your audience needs to be aware of why Mr. Guthrie is making this a sticking point. And you, Lord Jamar, um, you should not be assisting him. I'm not trying to assist him. I'm trying to assist the, the, I'm trying to facilitate whatever discussion, debate, build, whatever y'all want to call it. And that, and that's the point. So let just let us be real clear. Let the audience be real clear. So they understand who's playing games here and who ain't. Um, and we stated in the beginning your position of why you said you can't call it a debate. But but they didn't hear that. They didn't hear the why. My, I didn't state it. I didn't state it. I, I stated it. And and you agreed. I said because you are a part of an organization, you are part of you the nation. You are part of the Islam, nation of Islam. You can't autonomously just do certain things. You can't debate Paul Guthrie. Um was that was conveyed. To Mr. Guthrie, and he seized on it as an excuse to duck out of the debate. I am not, so the audience will know. How would Paul I Guthrie? Am. How would Paul Guthrie seize on the fact that you are part of the Nation of Islam? And this is your excuse. How could Paul Guthrie seize upon your excuse? A helper of the Honorable Brother Minister Farrakhan. You see this edifice I'm in. This ain't my personal home. I know where you're at. I don't do me personally. I follow my chain of command, and my chain of command goes up to the Honorable Brother Mr. Farrakhan. And when you and I spoke, Brother Lord Jamal, I told you that I want to make this happen. We have to publicize it in a way that will allow it to happen. So the whole point of the language is to craft it in a way so that it can happen. You and your conversation with Mr. Paul Guthrie, you tip your hand, he heard that, and now he is seizing that as a as, as an escape, a trap door out of this thing. So you hear the so semantics? Again. Do you hear the semantics here? Paul Guthrie doesn't have any he excuses. This is the only one with excuses. A million times a day. None of you are going to compel me to violate my protocol. What's the I protocol? Want, I'm the only, I seem to be the only one who's really determined to have this happen. If you hear you this bullshit? to try to disrespect you in any way. I'm just trying to make this go down. You understand, brother? I want to see it's you all that has to be one thing that has to happen for it to go down. I show up and he show up. That's the only thing that has to happen. If you want it to go down, Mr. Jones. You school at 3 o'clock at the flagpole? 3 o'clock, I'll be there. You hear? used to meet at the flagpole. It was the flagpole we met at. So you guys can hear the, the semantics there. And speaking of protocols, which he's talking about here, it's unfortunate that at one time he actually opened his mouth and said that Malcolm X 
um, in talking about Elijah Muhammad's, I guess, uh, so-called domestic life and speaking about that, he violated the black God protocol. But I guess Elijah Muhammad sleeping with teenage girls and kicking them out of the nation on charges for fornication. Uh, somehow that doesn't violate the black guard protocol. So I, I don't want to be a black. If that's what it takes to be a quote unquote black guard, you can leave me out of that bullshit. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, brothers and sisters. I'm going to go ahead and finish it off here. It's always a pleasure. Hope you guys really, really enjoy this episode. It's been quite a long one. As always, until the next episode of the Gospel of Malcolm X podcast, peace and love. Hip-hop beat 30 years from now I guess I should keep studying my peers for now Should I make a dance and snap thumbs Fast hi-hats, 808 back drums Are we selling our souls for 32 pieces of gold If it's lacking the soul, how can it remain whole We make music for a strip of holes But no music to think that's that short-term money that we put in the bank But the drama's going backwards I see devolution instead of evolution This is soul prostitution The children are fumbling Even got the elders encouraging mumbling Watching them stumbling Day after day is so humbling Meanwhile our stock has been plummeting And they telling me I need to sound like these other niggas Grown-ass men trying to sound like the younger niggas used to have balance. Back in the days, we had talent. Trying to be original was the challenge. Now all these niggas sound the same, and all the beats sound the same. Same cadence, same drums, all that shit sounded lame. 20 niggas trying to sound like Future, and I love rocking Future, but that's not for Future. Think you niggas need a different producer. Hope that bullshit crash your computer. Ain't nothing cool about being a loser. Thank mm-hmm. you.